1: Welcome, everybody. All right, we're talking about your friendly, everyday psychological abuser. Yeah, you know, (laughs) abuse refers to, if you think about it, harmful, injurious treatment of other people that may include, uh, let's say, physical, sexual, verbal, psychological, emotional, intellectual, spiritual maltreatment. It also may coexist with neglect. Uh, which is defined as a failure to meet a dependent person's basic physical and medical needs. And if you think about that, just neglect alone, a massive amount of our personality disorders, such as the narcissistic personality, the borderline personality, the paranoid personality disorders, those have a tendency to come through that dependent person's basic physical and medical needs not being met as a child. And not feeling safe, emotional deprivation, uh, desertion is often found in childhood. And neglect is sometimes described as a passive type of sub- type of abuse. Physical abuse is very obvious. You know, it refers to striking or beating another person with the hands or an object which is called corporal punishment, and it may, that's the object part of it, and it may include assault with a knife or gun or another weapon. Physical abuse also includes uh, behaviors like locking someone in a closet or a small space or depriving someone of sleep or burning or gagging or tying them up. You know, physical abuse of infants may include like shaking them, dropping them on the floor, throwing them against the wall, or other hard objects. And then we have, and just categorically, we're going through these, and then we're going to talk about abuse in itself. Then we have sexual abuse, and that refers to inappropriate sexual contact, so that doesn't mean penetration always between a child or an adult and someone who has some kind of family or professional authority over them. Sexual abuse may include verbal remarks, fondling, kissing, attempted or completed intercourse. And yes, there is such a thing as marital rape. You know, sexual contact between a child and a biological relative is known as incest. Although some therapists extend the term to cover sexual contact between anybody that's an adult and a child, including relatives by marriage. You know, girls are more common than boys to be abused sexually, according to conservative estimate. 38% of girls, 16% of boys are sexually abused before their 18th birthday. However, I would suggest that those statistics are biased, that boys oftentimes don't report the kind of abuse that they've received. Also, there's verbal abuse, and that refers to regular, consistent belittling, name-calling, gaslighting, labeling, ridiculing of a person, but it also includes spoken threats, and it's one of the most difficult forms of abuse to prove because it does not leave physical scars or other evidence. So I would have to ask you, you know, the bottom line is, if you have a spouse that is always throwing divorce out there, is that abuse? Well, by this term it is, you know, it's hurtful. Verbal abuse may occur in schools or workplaces as well as in families. And then we have emotional and psychological abuse. Emotional and psychological abuse is a variety of behaviors that hurt or injure others even though there's no physical contact. And in fact, emotional abuse is stronger predictor than physical abuse of the likelihood of suicide attempts in later life. So a form of emotional abuse involves the destruction of someone's pet, valued possession, in order to cause pain. Another abusive behavior is emotional blackmail, such as threatening to commit suicide unless the other person does what's wanted. Other behaviors in that category include the silent treatment. How many of you know people that do that? How many are people that do that? Shaming, humiliating someone in front of others, punish them for receiving an award or an honor. Intellectual or spiritual abuse refers to such behaviors as punishing someone for having different intellectual interests or religious beliefs from others in, in a family, and it may prevent them from attending worship or including their options you know, and, and the like into their life. So let's look at misogyny, and it, it isn't just hatred of women. It also includes aspects of prejudice, fear, grandiosity, and it doesn't always involve men. Misogyny can look like many things, but it can be blatant, like violence against women. It could be less obvious, like subtle perpetrating inequality between a man and a woman. Someone in a misogynistic beliefs, for example, might take men at their word while dismissing and trivializing women in the same opinion. And so what's the difference between a chauvinist and a misogynist? Both concepts involve negative perceptions, especially of women, but unlike behaviors of misogyny, chauvinism doesn't necessarily involve an underlying hatred or disgust for particular uh, gender, chauvinism stems from a sense that someone is superior to the other sex, and a belief uh, uh, that that that. Uh that other sex is naturally weaker, less intelligent, otherwise less able in some capacity to, to impair themselves to the sex that the chauvinist is. Someone with chauvinistic beliefs may still enjoy being around other uh, 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 people of the opposite sex, but they act protectively towards them out of the belief that they need someone to provide for them. And so – you know, a sexist and a misogynist. We have to look at the difference between those because there's abuse that happens from that perspective, and that misogyny can be extreme form of sexism, and and those those aren't always interchangeable. So, misogyny is a dislike or a contemplation for a prejudice against either a woman or a man. And uh, sexism is discrimination or prejudice against people who are of the opposite sex. So anyone can be sexist if they discriminate against the opposite sex. So misogyny is hatred and discrimination specifically against the other gender. And women can be as misogynistic as men. So a feeling of superiority towards the opposite sex, uh, the the contempt for common uh, 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 behaviors that the opposite sex may have, and uh, ingrained beliefs that all contribute to the uh, online misogyny or that we see in this world, and online and offline, in person. I mean, it's really sad, but there's, there's a lot of misogyny out there, especially in this tribalistic culture. And yes, my friends, that is abuse. Misogynistic people isn't a mental health condition, it's an attitude and a belief that may involve complex underlying factors like core belief systems. Cultural norms, childhood experiences, that's where it comes from. And the religious constructs, some religious, such as uh, those founded sometimes in Christianity, teach that women came after men and was made out of a part of the man's body and was created in his uh, companion to be under his care. Well, that is in the Bible. And that is part of the beliefs of Christianity. But from that, does that mean that one stands above the other? No. But the framework can sometimes be perceived as implied inferiority. And along with the belief that some religions that women ushered sin into the world, religion can contribute to a negative bias against females, which in turn could contribute to misogyny. But yes, that comes from the Bible. But who also contributed to that behavior? The man. And so there's a lack of accountability when it comes to misogyny. You know, upbringing can be a really big factor in the way people have been abused. You know, uh, uh, mimicry is some of the big things that children do. And if you're exposed to, to misogyny in your household as a child, you may grow up thinking that that's how you're expected to behave as an adult. So emotional abuse, domestic violence related to the upbringing environment have been linked to misogynistic cultures, hostile sexism, a power differential within the home, which may have been demonstrated in the childhood. Culture and gender norms. That's why when you marry somebody, you also end up marrying their past. And marrying their family. And they may not even know that that will come forward until they're in a relationship where they're living with you in a committed marital relationship. You may not see those qualities come forward until that actually happens. Culture and gender norms, where women often are perceived as inferior beings, may also be influenced by childhood development. And so, you know, you don't have to be religious to have personal beliefs that align with misogyny. You know, throughout life, if you benefited from misogynistic beliefs related to role models with misogynistic beliefs and felt aligned with causes that involve misogyny, you may consider that tenets of your core value system. So sexism, even in small doses, has been linked to mental health impacts, including anger, outbursts, depression, trauma, low self-esteem. Let's face it. If you want to live with rage, then you live in a world in your home or anywhere else where you're stuck being disrespected, being treated as you are less than, not having a voice. That is disrespect, that is 70% of rage. The other 30% of rage, which also comes through abuse, is fear. So if you want to live with lots of anger and lots of rage, suppressed, unsuppressed, just under the surface – then you live in a life where you are disrespected and abused by someone else you know what, what what's really important if you want to fight back against abuse is you want to advocate for people who identify you for your gender or the gender you identify as lifting up and supporting the efforts of people around you that are abused joining causes that support people who are abused Con- you know it, it's really important if you want to experience not not experience abuse then what you have to do is you have to stand your ground don't ignore abuse speak up if you see it say something let the person know that they're Basis will not be tolerated. That their behavior is not acceptable, you know, and that you would prefer them to stop. You can't control them. You would, you if you're going to expect them to stop, that's probably not going to happen. But you keep telling them what you prefer. You keep throwing the le- the red flag up. You keep telling them what you can do and you can't do. You keep telling them no, and eventually that person is going to find a new target. You know, it, 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 misogyny. Abuse is hatred and prejudice against people. Both men and women can perpetuate any kind of abuse. Well, there may be many underlying factors, you know, like some crazy narcissist that you may be married to telling you how crazy you are when all they're doing is projecting their own theater going on in their own mind on you, or some crazy borderline doing the same thing to you and your children, never taking any accountability for themselves. That kind of person is abusive. And sometimes they are linked to not only abuse, but violence. And if you're experiencing domestic violence, please seek help because that is an important thing. Seek a shelter. Get away from the abuser. Don't keep feeding them. If you're going to be the codependent feeding their emotional Crap, they're going to keep coming after you like like a dog does does a squeaky toy. The dog chews on the squeaky toy to show you how powerful they are. And what they want you to do is understand that every time they're making the squeaky toy squeak, they're demonstrating their power to you. But what you want to think about is if if you take the squeaky out of the toy, that toy will sit in the corner for the rest of its life, never to be disturbed. Because it's not showing the power. So what these kind of people that are abusive are looking for, they're looking for a response from you. They want to know they're getting that response because they lacked power in their life. And so what they want to do is demonstrate their emotional power on you and project that on you. So what is emotional abuse? Emotional abuse is a pattern of behavior in which a perpetrator insults, humiliates, generally instills fear in in, in a person's life in order to control them. And so what they do is that person's reality may become distorted as they internalize the abuse as their own failings. And this is what happens to child after child after child. They are told how awful uh, they are. They're told how awful they are that someone is and it just keeps going and going and going they're told how how all their failures they're listed all their expectations that the parent has for them that they didn't meet and when they do that they label them and label them and label them and eventually they take that in as that's who i am and that becomes a theme that lives throughout their whole life unfortunately people that are abusive and abuse are teaching that child that that is the kind of person that they need to have in their life so if you find your children being abused in their marriages, that's probably because they witnessed it in their own life and that's what they're familiar with. You know, people who suffer emotional abuse can be experience short-term difficulties such as confusion, memory, concentration, low confidence, nightmares, aches, racing heart. Long-term repercussions is anxiety, panic attacks, insomnia, and social withdrawal because they're not safe. They're not safe. And so they're hiding from life. And it's sad, but that's what happens when people are emotionally abused. And, and so what emotional abuse centers around is the need to control. So the, 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 the main diagnosis – Operating in anxiety and depression and in OCD and all kinds of other disorders that are man-made is the idea of the need to control things you cannot control. So you exacerbate your own control by developing the symptoms of anxiety, panic attacks, depression, and OCD. That all comes from the need to control things that we cannot control. It's called coping. Fear, difficulty concentrating, all of those are factors. So monitoring and controlling a person's behavior, such as who they spend time with or how they spend money, is a sign of abuse. Threatening a person's safety, property, loved ones. Isolating a person from a family, friends, acquaintances. These are abuse. It's abuse. But it happens all the time. Demeaning, shaming, humiliating a person. You know, what do you think it is when you have a partner – who makes it so you can only just relate to them. There's other family members that you cannot relate to anymore. People you love in your life, you can't relate to them anymore simply because that partner does not have the threshold of tolerance to be around those people. Because maybe those people call them out for for who they are and actually understand what kind of person they are. And sadly, some people are dumb enough and have no no ability to do conflict and have no boundaries will just suck it up and deal with somebody like this. And this person just keeps thinking like a slippery slope that they can take over that other person's life. And eventually they do because that person will avoid conflict at all costs. You know, extreme jealousy, accusations, paranoia. Those are often the accuser. If you think about people that are having affairs, it's usually the accuser. The one that's accusing you of, a, of an affair is the one that's actually thinking about having an affair. You know, Delivering constant criticism, that is abuse. Regular ridicule, teasing, sarcasm, not directed towards a person that's delivering it, that is abuse. You don't want to tease people for qualities that they have that may or may not be very sensitive parts of who they are and very quirky parts of who they are. If you do that, you are centering them out to say you're weird. And if you're doing that, you're developing a narrative within them that they are eventually going to grasp onto if you just keep doing it. And so thwarting a person's professional or personal goals, this happens all the time, believe it or not where people get in the way of other people's that they're married to's career, where they actually force them to make choices that are different. It's, it's either your job or me. You know, that's very selfish to get in the way of somebody's passion and purpose in life. All right. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and talk more about defining abuse, understanding abuse, and then dealing with abuse. So come back. <laughs>
0: us on facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world voice america empowerment dr gary bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone skype or in person in the seattle area dr bell brings his no nonsense straight from the hip discussions each week on the show but it doesn't stop there learn about motivation and psychology one couple marriage repair A two day workshop in Seattle and more. Visit Dr. GBMFT.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951 818 7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951 818 7856. It's time to serve, learn, change the world. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology.
1: Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about your friendly, everyday psychological abuser. You know, one of the top qualities of a psychological abuser is they will tell you every time you tell them, you're hurting my feelings. You said this to me. You did this to me. I can't believe you did this. What they do is they get Defensive. They get defensive. I did not I didn't intend to do that. That's not what I was saying. that they'll change everything. They will distort everything that they say, "No, you really said this. I didn't say that. I can't believe you say I say that." You know, they, they get so defensive, and that is a sign when somebody is defensive in a marriage, when you're doing conflict in marriage, you're trying to make a relationship better. You're not trying to make it worse. And the problem is accountability is the one factor that psychological abusers cannot allow themselves to have. And even when they do, they go through what's called the honeymoon phase where they make it up to you. And they're all nice to you and they do all the good things and all of a sudden things start to get steady and then they get used to it and then they start taking you for granted. Then they get back into that abuse cycle again and off it goes and then they abuse and then they do the honeymoon and it's back and it's just a it's just circular thing that abusers tend to do. But accountability, it really takes something awful to make them be accountable. But once they are, they keep doing it because they know you'll take them back. The idea is if you're going to be with a psychological abuser, you better have good boundaries and you better have some safety plans because they need to find themselves on their own at times with themselves so they can only do the abuse to themselves. You know, it's thwarting a person's professional goals professional, uh, uh, personal goals can be one of the things they do. Making fun of you while you're trying to exercise and getting your body into better shape may be one thing. Instilling self doubt and worthlessness about you. Gaslighting, you know, you're a terrible parent. I can't believe you said this to, to our child. You did this. You don't help me with this. You don't give me this. You know, very, very much of a a type of person that will put you down at any time. And that's what psychological abusers love to do. They love to make you feel guilty, ashamed, horrible, less than, And they love to do it actually in front of your children so that your children will actually do the same thing to you. They also gaslight. They make a person question their competence and even their basic perceptual experiences. That you are actually the crazy one. They can't take accountability. They just can't do it. And and if you're going to try to force them to do it, it's a good chance they're not going to be able to do it. So toxic people, which are abusers, Really, if you think about it, not good in your life, not good for your children, not good for life in general. They need to come to grips with their own accountability. And until that happens, you really don't want to spend a lot of time listening to their narratives about you and your children, because what you will end up doing is integrating that into your personality, Mm -hmm. especially if you're a child. Sometimes emotional abuse doesn't involve overt threats or vigilant monitoring. More subtle signals of emotional abuse may be like an important relationship, including regularly judging a person's perspective without trying to understand it, or relying on blame rather than improvement or regarding the other person as inferior, frequent sarcasm, telling the other person how to feel in an attempt to be helpful. You know, you can't feel like that. You shouldn't feel like that. You won't feel like that. You have a right to feel any way you want to feel. That is your choice and no one else's. You know, what tactics do emotional abusive people use? Well, they're perpetrators of emotional abuse and they consistently criticize, shame, humiliate in order to gain control and power in a relationship. They will yell at their victim, call them names or level baseless accusations at them. They may act jealously, possessively, monitor the person's whereabouts, communication by checking their phone. Yeah, stalkers. Um, you know, an emotional abuser may gaslight their victim into believing that their unhappiness is their own fault. And they often f- seek to isolate their victim from friends and family to prevent them from getting a reality check or a broader perspective. Or they will drive that, those family members away from you and they will drive you away from your family members because they see the light you know, uh, uh, abusers are often skilled manipulators. So those suffering emotional abuse don't even recognize those patterns, those tactics that may lead the victim to believe that they are to blame for the problems in the relationship. These patterns occur consistently and often relent only when the victim understands the partner's manipulation and behavior and threatens to leave or ends the relationship. These guys can't take accountability until the final straw has broken. They wait and they wait and they wait because they believe you don't have it in you to set a boundary for them. You know, gaslighting uh, constitutes a form of emotional abuse by manipulating the victim to doubt their own sense of reality, continually saying things like, that's not how it happened. You're crazy. The gaslighter asserts control over the relationship, leading the victim to rely on the perpetrator for the sense of reality. So the perpetrator thinks their reality is the only reality and that your truth is not, uh, there, it's not the truth. And so what really happens is we are shut down and disrespected by the gaslighter. We are left to believe that our perception of the truth is not allowed to be accepted. And that is crazy, because if you're going to be in a relationship, you have to understand that you're not only responsible for your perception of the truth, but you're responsible for your partner's perception of the truth, and you do not fight to be right. You fight to hear each other. You try to hear each other. That's the goal. It's not to tell your partner why you're right. But some people are so gaslight driven that they can't even get out of the box to understand that that's what they're doing. You know, abusers deny their harmful patterns of behavior and blame their victims. They tend to be possessive. Hypersensitive have a strong need for control, which motivates them to wield power in the relationship. Abusive tendencies may stem from deep insecurities or mental health condition, uh, like an antisocial personality or a narcissistic personality, and also emotional abuse and physical abuse sometimes co-occur, but not always. You know, emotional abuse often precedes physical violence, which only begins after a perpetrator is an emotional assault tactics fail to control the person's behavior. Also, psychological abuse can sometimes be dem- damaging, and even more damaging than physical violence. While physical abuse is occasional and cyclical, emotional abuse is constant. And violence tends to be perceived as the offender's failing, whereas the victims are more likely to internalize emotional abuse as their own personal. Failings And research suggests that over 50% of adults may experience emotional abuse in their lifetime. Although the concept is difficult to to measure, emotional abuse is designated as as an adverse childhood experience, one experienced by 11% of children. I think it's much higher than that. But that's the CDC that says that. You know, um, healing from abuse is also... Very hard. Leaving an abusive relationship is very challenging but completely possible. But victims must come to recognize that that reasoning with an abuser is not effective and that the individual will probably never change. To begin to heal, experts advise those leaving an emotionally abusive relationship seek support from one's social circle and even a therapist. Yes, you really got to get outside of the box. You can't just heal within an abusive relationship. You've got to get away from the abuser so you can see the forest for the trees. You know, victims of emotional abuse are often worn down so they can't see the harmful dynamics. Clearly, they come to believe that the relationship challenges are, are their own fault. And that's because the abuser has groomed you to believe that. They may spend time ruminating and bargaining considering how they can adapt their behavior or avoid confrontation. Victims may struggle with the problems of self-esteem as well as anxiety and depression. There's a book and it's a workbook. It's called Stop Walking on Eggshells. Um, Really good book to help you understand when you're living with an abuser. That one is geared towards what's called a borderline personality, which in my opinion is some of the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst out there. They are so destructive and very rarely end up in jail. They always walk along the lines and never take accountability for anything in their life ever. You know, survivor, you know, childhood verbal abuse can include constant criticism like put-downs, rejection. Parent may stop the child from expressing anger or sadness, you know, stifling their range of emotions. And now they have a low what's called EQ, emotional quotient. That means they don't have a lot of emotional language, which may make them look like they are autistic spectrum. But the truth is maybe they're going to have to learn that in a marriage, which can be very sad that one has a high EQ and the other has a low EQ simply because the low EQ is developed by parents who could not tolerate or even stand to have a child who had one or two or three emotions that they would express without logic. Emotions don't have logic, but people oftentimes take emotions as conflict. You know, it also makes it nearly impossible for an affectionate parent to counter the effects of an abusive parent. You know, childhood abuse can lead to emotional pain, anxiety, depression, self-criticism, low self-esteem, difficulty forming stable and trusting relationships. But therapy can help people process parental abuse and abandonment and, and, and what's called uh, uh, inner child work, where that person, when they were abused, freezes. At that abuse, their emotions freeze at that abuse. And when they are confronted in a similar way as their parent confronted them and abused them, that they will respond from, let's say, eight years old or 12 years old. And that is their emotional quotient that they come out of. And that's called inner child. And that can be dealt with in therapy. You know, survivors of emotional abuse or domestic violence remain tethered to the relationship longer than outsiders can understand. When they've been abused, they have to wonder, why was I in this? Why did this happen to me? Is there a God? Why did this happen? You know, and they're always thinking and wondering, why did this abuse happen to me? You know, and, and so constant accusations and harassment can wear down the victim and lead to distorted thoughts such as believing that they deserve it or that emotional abuse, uh, emotional abuse isn't real. Fear, damaged self-worth, concern for children or the family, financial constraints, other factors can lead to victims to stay in abusive relationships. So, you know, we have to understand that as we stay in an abusive relationship, especially with our children trapped in the same thing, What we're often doing is exposing ourselves to trauma that will last over a lifetime. What's also interesting is when people have been abused, they oftentimes become abusers because they're trying to do self-psychology to try to understand why this happened to them. And then they become the abuser, and then they take on that that self-esteem. They take on that abusive posture, and they become addicted to it. You know, although turbulent childhoods can produce a lot of substantial challenges, they can also uh, create great strength. You know, people raised in a stressful household, whether due to poverty, abuse, neglect, or other circumstances, may have enhanced their cognitive flexibility, showcasing the ability to be resilient, to, to adapt, to take risks, to tolerate ambiguity. They may be able to do that because of the abuse. These are skills that you want to hang on to, very good skills, but that may be from that they come from a place that's not so hot. So your motivator is what has to be examined, and what motivates you is fear a motivator in your life. If fear is a motivator in your life, you're going to be a very pragmatic, anxious person. Therapy can help survivors of abuse. By processing the experience and reprocessing the experience, rebuilding the self-esteem, addressing symptoms such as anxiety, insomnia, depression, and develop a new context of what their life is about and what their life can be and what their purpose can be. And so there's a lot that can come out of the work that we do to deal with childhood abuse and abuse in a relationship. Psychological abuse is common. And here's some of the ingredients that come with it, name-calling, yelling, insulting the person, threatening the person, and threatening to take away something that is important to them, imitating or mocking someone, swearing at them, ignoring the person, isolating them, you know, excluding them from meaningful events and activities, you know, it is very important to understand that these are very strong signs of psychological abuse. And when you have been abused like that, you also have to understand that many times that people get to abuse because they are talking to their partner as if they are a child. And what happens is that a child comes back and starts to insult the, the, the parent, the one that's trying to parent the, 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 the other adult. And so what often takes place is they stop listening to each other and then they resort to yelling and name calling and saying things that they'll regret for the rest of their lives simply because they're not humble enough and able enough to do the work that they committed to do, which was to hear each other, to listen with respect, to allow emotions and meaning to be understood, not just sit there and interpret the things that a person's done. If you want to understand forgiveness – Forgiveness is done by examining the what or the how something happened, not the why something happened. Why is a very motive-based, horrendous question. If you want people to lie to you, ask them a why question. If you want to have the intention and want to be looking for forgiveness, ask a what or how so you look at the process leading to the choice. That's more important. That's smarter that gives you curiosity, that gives you answers, and that gives you the ability to not have necessarily the degree of conflict that you would have without the answers. If you're gonna ask why questions, you're basically putting people down. If you want your children to lie to you, ask them a why question and that's what will happen. You know, the the, the, the signs of psychological abuse can be seen in many ways and can be manifested in many behaviors. And so what we have to do you know, uh, uh, you can think of things like this. You know, you're so cute when you try to concentrate. Look, look at her, man. She's trying to think. Okay, that's sarcasm. You know, that isn't all what I meant. You'll never understand how much I love you. That's terrible because you've just shut that person down. You know, if you don't train that dog, I'm going to rub your nose and it's poop. Okay, that's abuse you know uh, you know i'm more capable smarter better educated than you i'll take our kids if you leave me just cuz somebody's educated doesn't mean they have common sense you know the bottom line is most intellectual people on the very high end have very little common sense in this world you know uh, uh y- y- you know your body smells like spam or your body looks like spam you know try you know you look like a whore you know people say these kind of things to their kids You know, uh, you you know, uh, you took a vow in front of God and, and everybody, and I expect you to honor it after you've been abusing and abusing and abusing. Right. No, that vow is not there if you're going to abuse somebody. You know, keep your stupid beliefs to yourself. Children don't need to be you to confuse them. Right. That's abuse. Don't shut people down. Listen to their voice. All right, we're going to take another break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about breaking out of an abusive relationship. Come back.
0: Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching Unravel the mysteries of metaphysics every week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Join host Barb Crowley as she and her insightful guest share what's been learned behind the veil going just beyond our five senses. Now you can see things with an entirely different point of view. Tune in for Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil, broadcasting live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Use it to explore your advantage and deeper understanding. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary
1: Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right. We're talking about your friendly, everyday psychological abuser. You know, there's one other form of abuse that I haven't expounded on, and I'm going to expound on that real quick. And that's financial abuse. It's sometimes called economic abuse, and it often involves someone using money in ways that hurt you. And it can include many other things like stopping you from getting a job or forcing you to get loans you don't want. It also can be a form of uh, domestic and family violence, like spiritual abuse happens when someone uses spiritual or religious beliefs to hurt, scare, or control you, and that's called doctrine. And it can involve someone forcing you or your children to participate in spiritual or religious practices when you don't want to. And it can involve someone in refusing to allow you to participate in religious or spiritual practices that are important to you. So, you know, there's a whole lot of patterns out there that offer abuse, and they can come from ex-boyfriends, ex-girlfriends, ex-people that you've been involved in, adult children. You know, uh, um, it can happen with uh, parents and guardians and other family members, also support, you know, people that you work with, people that you live around. We all have to understand when we are being abused and how we're being abused. To confront an abuser safely, the best thing to tell them is I prefer you speak to me like this. I prefer that you use these kind of words instead of those. I don't expect you to hear me because you're an abuser, but I would like and I prefer that you treated me better. You know, giving them the boundaries is throwing a yellow flag up and you really deserve to do that for yourself and you want to give them a chance to recover. But oftentimes abusers are so ingrained in the way they operate, they cannot help themselves They have to just keep on abusing. They think that what they're doing is shaping you. And they think that they are victims of you and anybody else in which their children, anybody else in their family. They love to be victims. Love it. Abusers think that they are victims. That's where they come from. And it's sad, but we're not victims. We're in this life to make a life for ourselves, to create a life. And that, if you're not sitting in, in 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 some kind of situation where you're forced to be something you're, you're not, you're not a victim. You know, if you volunteered to be in a marriage, you're not a victim. You know, if you had children, you're not a victim. You know, stop acting like it. A victim is always perceiving themselves as being hurt by other people, but usually the victim is the one that is hurting other people. You know, recognizing abuse is a first step and it's often difficult for abuse victims to acknowledge their situation and seek help. And for those who do seek help, research has shown that people who participate in intimate partner violence prevention programs report less psychological aggression towards their targets of psychological abuse. You know, oftentimes psychological abuse involves someone in your family who's on drugs or someone in your family who's an alcoholic. You know, and seeking help by going to groups of people who actually deal with this kind of thing uh, might be helpful because you might learn techniques in which how to deal with the the abusers in your life. You know child abuse is a sole form of emotional and psychological maltreatment is often most difficult to identify and prevent. But Child Protective Services is out there, and and it needs to be used when it has to be used. And mandated reporters have to mandate a report because they are trying to prevent abuse of children. And also there's a thing called Adult Protective Services, and that's for these family members who are trying to uh, hopefully – manufacture the death or of their, their uh, parent or relative or somebody that they're caretaking in order for them to get themselves their will and and to get benefits or whatever, but they're benefiting from that relationship by abusing. And so they'll, they'll put that person down and tear that person down as an adult. And unfortunately, this happens in a form of neglect more often, but it's something that happens and we have to recognize it. You know, some researchers have begun to develop methods to diagnose and treat these abuses, like the ability to identify potential risk factors, provide resources of victims and their families, and ask appropriate questions to identify abuse. So mandated people that are in schools and in psychology and in the world are actually getting better at identifying people that have been in abusive relationships. Also, abuse takes place very heavily in the workplace. Majority of companies within the United States provide access to human resources in which report cases of psychological and emotional abuse. And many managers are required to participate in conflict management programs in order to ensure the workplace maintains an open and respectful atmosphere with tolerance for diversity or the existence of interpersonal frustration and friction is accepted but also properly managed. You know, what's really important to get to is to understand that in the workplace, we have Things called policies and guidelines. And policies have everything to do with if you do this, you're fired. If you do this, you're fired. If you don't do this, you're fired. These are the kind of things that are policies. And more and more, how people treat each other is becoming a policy-driven thing rather than a guideline. Because a guideline is saying, well, we recommend, but it's not forcing. And so nowadays, people are creating policies in the workplace which help understand and uh, equitably and legally what you can and cannot do in that workplace. But if you want to attract healthy people into into your life, you have to be healthy. And what is healthy? What is healthy is to understand that the most valuable thing if you're going to have children or if you're going to get married, the most valuable thing you can give your children or your partner is your own mental health. Be healthy. Very important. That's the greatest gift you'll ever give. You know, who takes responsibility for the issues when uh, uh, there's abuse around? You know, if you're going to refuse to protect others, you're as much abusive as the abuser. If you're going to blame and shame others, that's abuse too. It's a person who can own their own emotions, anger, fear, shame, joy, happiness, resentment, and all others use those emotions to clarify and identify their own path is a person who is healthy. Yes. You know, a, a, a word boundary has taken on a lot of baggage over the last few years. Many people think that a word boundary means that you have the capacity to make others behave as you want them to, to lay down a boundary that means they will honor that boundary and do right by you. But it is not what boundaries are. Boundaries are to, to bind your behavior and, and not someone uh, else's. So you might want to say to another, you can't treat me in that way anymore. And think that you're laying down a boundary for them so that they will stop treating you that way. But in order for that boundary to be real, you might have to put that person, put yourself out of their reach so that they truly cannot get to you and treat you that way anymore. Just because you put a boundary out doesn't mean people respect it. They're very important, though, for the ability to, to pick well and to have and to hold a healthy relationship in your life. But in order to have boundaries, you have to know enough about yourself to know where you need the boundaries to be. So get in touch with yourself and understand where is it important? Where am I important to myself? Where am I completely me? And that is where you want to put your boundaries. You know, you want to have joy in your life. If you're in a if you're the smartest person in a room, go to a room where people are smarter than you. If if you are the, the if you have the most uh, emotional intelligence in the room, go to a room where people are more emotionally intelligent and capable than you are. And maybe you're going to learn something. That's what we need to do in life is surround ourselves with healthy, not unhealthy Unfortunately, when you marry or you dive into a relationship with substance abuse or alcoholism or other problems where they abuse psychologically, mentally, emotionally, sexually, these people you got to get out of your life, they're toxic. They're toxic and they create enormous problems. And so, you know, in this day and age, if we're going to link our life to someone else, One of the biggest things that we want to do is say, is this person emotionally healthy? Are they financially healthy? Are they financially stable? Are they good to their children? How do they treat their family? How do they treat other people? That's how we start to get a readout. uh, Is their health in good shape? You know, familiarize with what constitutes emotional abuse. If you recognize the signs of emotional suits, uh, the, the first step is to overcome it right off the bat. You know, uh, the type of abuse can come in the form of direct insults, personal attacks, passive-aggressive belittling. So what is passive-aggressive? That's where they stuff it. And thematically, they'll stuff the same insult over and over and over. And you may give it to them in different ways. And all of a sudden, they blow back on you. As if you are crazy, as if they're crazy and they blow back because they don't want to ever have conflict with you again on this topic. And so they look like the crazy person because they're passive aggressive because they keep holding in the steam. Unfortunately, that's what happens with passive aggressive people that when they confront, they're never heard because they look like they're batshit crazy. You know, the other thing is the state of denial. One of the best emotional abuse tests is if a person is able to deny what the truth is. You and your partner can both deal with conflicts without threats or despair. You and your partner do not lash out upon receiving criticism. You say no to certain requests. You you openly express your feelings. That's a safe, healthy relationship and that's what we all want. But the people that do denial are oftentimes abusers because they believe that their, their reality is the only reality. We all have to know when it's not okay, when emotional abuse is not okay. Once you've identified emotional abuse signs in your relationship it's and physical and psychological, it's really important to recognize that behavior and say, hey, it's not okay. Many victims find themselves making excuses for their partner's abusive actions. They may also say to themselves that they deserve to be treated that way. They had it coming. Or they may have convinced themselves that they're uh, too in love to do anything about it. But no one in any situation deserves to be subjected to any form of physical or emotional abuse at, or psychological abuse at any time. And the the earlier you confront it, the smarter you are, you know, and understand that the cycle of of abuse is there too. And that is the abuse happens, then the honeymoon phase where they're all nice and lovey-lovey, then things start to stabilize, and now they start taking you for granted, then they abuse you again, and then they go to the honeymoon. That's the cycle of abuse. That is the most common pattern found in abusive relationships. The other thing is when you're with an abuser, reach out, build up your support network. It's one of the best ways to combat harmful effects of emotional abuse. Get out and go to your relative's house. Go to your family's house. Go to uh, go to friends' houses when this person is doing their thing. You know, it, it, breaking the self-destructive uh, destructive process is a result of, of, of isolating and creating a sense of awareness in that abuser. Very important part for us to do. You know, if you're feeling especially lost or even just need to know that you aren't going crazy, there's a variety of places to help you. There's a domestic violence 24 by seven support line. It's 1-800-799-7233. Very important. We need to stand up for ourselves. And after identifying emotional abuse in your relationship, build up your social network then start enacting change. You know, it's smart by pointing out what kinds of behaviors you don't think are appropriate. Set the boundaries. I'll listen to feedback, but I won't tolerate the personal attacks. I will not speak to you for this moment. Take, We're going to take a time out, and then we can come back in a half hour if you treat me like a human being, like a person. Otherwise, I'm not going to sit here and listen to your crap. Just not going to do it. And you want to be confident, and that leads to the next tip if you 're confident, this will likely quiet uh, the mass that that person much easier because you find your confidence will build bit by bit, and what 's more, you have the upper hand of knowing their behavior is inappropriate, not yours, and maintain eye contact that 's another thing. look them straight in the eye it 's really hard for people to maintain abuse when you're looking them straight in the eye. You keep an even tone of voice. You try as hard as you can to keep your emotions from getting the best of you. You want to stay on the offensive, and that means voice flat and straight. I feel like this when you tell me that. Eye contact, and don't start following their verbosity. Don't treat them like they're treating you, because if you do that, You become the abuser in their eyes. All right, that's our show. I want to thank everybody for listening. I love hearing from you, and you can do that at voiceamerica.com, the empowerment channel, Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. We have a new Facebook page, and you can contribute to our show in the links section of our Voice America webpage. So remember, tell a narcissist, your problem is that you don't realize that you are the problem, and then watch what happens. (laughs) Tell a narcissist, I'm pretty sure the earth revolves around the sun and not you. Also, hit the brakes, Speedy. Yeah, it's a good way to stop them. And also, Spongebob has nothing on your ability of self-absorption is something that you would want to tell a narcissist. Let me say that again. uh, Spongebob has nothing on your ability of self-absorption. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody